All over the world, the gospel is producing fruit and growing. I trust that's your testimony this morning. Having just returned from uh, South Asia, I can testify that God in His grace, God by His Spirit is working in a powerful way and producing fruit in the lives of men, of women. I got off the plane three weeks ago and was hurried to a baptismal service where people were declaring God's transforming power. God had rescued them out of the dominion of darkness and brought them into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood. What a privilege to be a partner with the proclamation of the gospel worldwide. Friends, this is what we're called to do. It's harvest time. It's harvest time physically, apparently in, the, in our own community after extreme weather wiped out about 85% of Ontario's 2012 apple crop. This year's growing season has produced such huge apples that branches are breaking on the farms. If you need some apples, come over to our place afterwards. Our branches are breaking too. It's unbelievable the size and the weight of the fruit compared to last year with that extreme drought. Now the president of the Ontario Apple Grower says we had excellent growing conditions. Rain when we needed it and sun. It's been a bumper crop. Apparently some of the crops are up 40%. But spiritually speaking, I wonder if that's true. Are you seeing a bumper crop, a bumper harvest being brought in? Jesus told us it is his desire, his prayer, that we should bring forth much fruit. And so I want to look this morning with you at Colossians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul is praying for a church. It's a church he's never been to. It's a church he has not met, but Epaphras, who is a faithful leader, a man who in chapter 4 of this same book is always wrestling in prayer. Paul said, I'll testify about him. I'll let you know this man is working hard for you. What's his hard work? It's prayer. He's always wrestling in prayer that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. But Paul took his pen and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit wrote these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit 
in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I want to examine with you this morning the topic of gospel-produced fruit and growth. What is it that God is doing around the world? What is it that God longs to do around the world and in us as the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out with power? Apostle Paul said to the Roman church in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And as this righteousness, as this gospel-produced righteousness intersects with sinners, it brings about change. And Paul is thrilled, Paul is overwhelmed with a sense of gratitude to God for what God is doing. He's never met this church. He's not been acquainted with these Christians, but he's heard of their testimony. He's heard of their love for Christ. He's heard of their love for other believers, and he's been deeply impacted by their testimony. So let's look this morning and see and ask ourselves, what is the gospel producing in my life? What does God long to do in my life and by faith through my life in touching the lives of others? How much fruit, how much growth are we truly experiencing from God? He begins in the opening verses in a very typical first century way by identifying himself. And I would suggest to you this morning that the gospel will come with power, the gospel will produce fruit and growth through gospel-equipped leaders. The Apostle Paul doesn't fit the norm. He was not normal. Anybody qualify? Anybody feel in good company? Paul was not normal. He, did, he was not a normal disciple. Uh, he had not been with the 12 when Jesus walked on earth. He'd been an outsider. In fact, when we first meet Paul in the book of Acts, he is Saul. And as the first Christian martyr is laying down his life because of his faith for Christ, they, those who picked up stones to stone Stephen lay their garments at the feet of Saul. And so he's standing there, I'm sure, quite pleased, quite thrilled that a follower of Christ is going to die. And he leaves Jerusalem armed with letters, armed with authority from the chief priests that if he finds anyone who is a follower of the way, he can arrest them. He can take them bound back to Jerusalem and have them prosecuted because they are defying custom. They are defying the law. But God had other plans. As many of you have discovered, God has a different plan than you do. And God intersected the path of Saul. God crossed paths with Saul as he was walking so in such a determined way into the city of Damascus. 
He met him. He challenged him. He blinded him for three days, and he connected him, and he became a part of the believing community. He was transformed by his grace. And so now, years later, Paul can say to this church, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm under the authority of Jesus. I used to live under my own authority. Now I live under the authority and direction of Christ. That's what a Christian is. That's what a Christ follower is. It's one who has surrendered. He is one, she is one who's yielded to Christ and has declared publicly and privately, Jesus Christ is my Lord. Jesus Christ is my master. I am living under his authority. So he writes to this church under the authority of Christ, and God is forwarding, God is advancing his plan, his will through Paul. We're taught to pray. In fact, we used to pray this prayer in public school, didn't we? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perhaps Paul had never really prayed that, but here he is experiencing that truth. He's living out the will of God. He has been able to test and prove, as he told the Romans, what God's will is. When we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, God takes our lives. God takes us seriously. And we can test and prove what God's will is. And so Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And along with him is, is this key assistant, this young man who had showed incredible promise. Paul had met him on his second journey. Paul had been traveling through his community and he had heard the reputation of young Timothy. Timothy had been faithful. His mother, his grandmother were converted and they had passed the faith along. It appears his father was an unbeliever. Perhaps some of you here today are in that situation. But his grandma and his mom saw to it that this young boy learned the ways of God. And he came to faith and actually became one of the leaders in the church at Ephesus. On this occasion, as Paul is writing from prison, Timothy is with him and he identifies him. He raises him up. He honors him by calling him our brother. To whom is he writing? He's writing, he says, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. I ask you this morning, are you holy? If you can say, yes, I, I am holy, you can testify to the work of God. We are not born holy. We're born in sin. We're shaped in iniquity. We've been fashioned and embedded with the sin of our forefathers. But God in his grace, God in his mercy, God demonstrates love for rebels, those who shake their fist at God, find that Christ died for the ungodly. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's amazing love. What other faith in all the world has a God who demonstrates love, who pardons iniquity? On a couple of occasions, one in the Dubai airport, I had an opportunity to share the gospel. This young man came by 
the seat where I was uh, using some electronic equipment and he was having difficulty getting on the internet. Of course, you can't live without the internet, right, when you travel. And so we spent some time and I helped him to get it functioning and we got into a two-hour conversation. He'd never heard of Christ. Brilliant young man, PhD, doing neuroscience in France. And he'd picked up some impressions of the faith. But he wanted to know, who is Jesus? What does this God offer? You see, the background he'd come from told him there were many gods. And all of these gods had expectations. We saw that face to face in the streets of Calcutta as we went from one festival to the next festival. The traffic jams on the highways, the traffic jams on the roads were basically caused with processions of worship. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, what had God done for these people? What has God done for you? Has he not rescued us? Has he not delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son? We've been delivered. We've been rescued. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so and declare what God has done. You see, it's the, the story of my life, the story of your life is not what we've done for God. It's what God has done for us. A testimony is a testimony when it points to grace, when it declares, who am I that you are mindful of me? Who am I? It's not because of who I am. It's because of who you are. It's because of who Christ is. That's why I'm saved. That's why I stand before you holy. God has made me faithful. Where are they? They are, he says, in Christ. We're all in Oshawa, but we're not all in Christ. They were in Christ at Colossae. Their spiritual address was to be found in Christ. They had fastened their faith in the Savior. They knew him. They trusted him. They'd been saved by him. He was now their Lord, their Savior. He was their everything. Is he yours? What is your spiritual address this morning? Are you in Christ? Are you a believer? Are you fully trusting Christ this morning? You can. You may experience salvation. Well, what does he pray? What does he desire for this group of Christians? He's never met them, but what does he pray God will grant them? The end of verse 2, grace and peace to you from God our Father. What does every disciple need? What does every Christ follower require if they are going to go forward in their relationship with Christ? Is it not grace? Is it not peace? It's as if when you become a believer in Christ, you are given access to the bank of heaven. God, as it were, issues you an ATM card and says, listen, the resources, God's resources, my resources are available to you. Draw upon them. Access them. They're available for daily living, whether you live in Colossae or Calcutta or Oshawa or Whitby or Curtis, wherever your address is. When you trust in Christ, you are given access to grace 
You are given access to resources you've never had before. You see, the issue for being a Christian is not that we try harder. I said to this young man as well as another man with whom I had a prolonged conversation at a camp in India, the reality is it's not trying harder. A true Christian reaches a point, a sinner reaches a point of acknowledgement of brokenness. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I said, that doesn't sound like a lot of resources, does it? It sounds like need. It sounds like emptiness. And Jesus promises that those who are empty and who seek him will be filled. God rewards those who diligently seek him. What a remarkable God we serve. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. Not only gospel-equipped leaders, not only gospel-empowered followers or disciples, but notice this gospel-enriched prayer. I don't know about you, but I struggle with how to pray effectively. I'm sure we have all repeated pattern prayers. I'm sure some prayers we could probably say without even thinking, and, and perhaps we do. But this prayer... This prayer, prayed by this leader for this group of believers, models for us an engagement with God, a a, a pleading with God that God would unpack, unfold his resources, and embed them into the lives of these followers of Christ. Follow along. We always, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Thanksgiving is a learned grace. The Apostle Paul embedded thanksgiving in his prayers. Thanksgiving for him wasn't just a holiday. It wasn't just an event in the year. Thanksgiving was a way of life. Thanksgiving was a heart response to God for all that God had done. We always thank God. And who is God? He is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know God because of Christ. God has revealed himself to us through Jesus. You cannot get to God except through Jesus Christ. What a challenge in the second Sunday I was in Calcutta to hear someone give a, 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 they made a statement early on in the service. They were just a guest and they were supposed to sort of just bring a few words of greetings. Sometimes guests who bring greetings sort of overstep their boundaries. And this guest definitely overstepped his boundaries. And he declared that it didn't matter what you believe or who you believe, we're all going to end up in heaven. Not quite what the pastors had really wanted said that morning. I leaned over to Pastor Jack, who was beside me, and I said, now I know why God wants me to preach on Galatians 1. The gospel. The gospel. Don't tamper with the gospel. Why? It is only through the gospel, it is only through faith in Christ alone that a person will come into the presence of God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
So what is Paul doing here? He is praying. He is praying thankfully, and he is thrilled because he sees evidence of grace. Verse 4, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We've heard of what God has done. You are Christians. You've trusted in Christ. And also, this faith in Christ, this vertical relationship, also has some horizontal impact. God has touched your life. God has so changed you that you have a new relationship with Christ and you have a new relationship with all the followers of Christ. You love all the saints, not just the few you disagree with or agree with. Your love for all the saints and this faith in Christ, this love that you have is springing up. It rises up out of hope. You see, the one truth, the one concept that makes Christianity unique, I suggest, in all the world, is the fact that it is a a faith of hope. It is hope in Christ. It is not barely surviving through this world. It is having hope in this life and in the life to come. I have a hope. I have a future, we sometimes sing. And so the uniqueness of the hope that we have in Christ led these Colossian believers to demonstrate that hope by riveting their faith in Christ and fastening their love on other believers. What has your hope in Christ led you to do? What has it led me to do? This hope is stored up for you in heaven. God has it there. And you've already heard about in the word of truth. You've had the gospel preached to you. Do you realize how blessed you are I believe it was Oswald J. Smith from People's Church many years ago who said, why should anyone hear the gospel twice when so many haven't even heard it once? You heard about it, Paul said. You heard about the the gospel in the word of truth. You had truth preached to you. You're blessed. It is the gospel that has come to you. Good news. And all over the world, I mean, Paul was their missionary. Paul had a global vision. Paul had a vision that God was doing something worldwide. What does he say? All over the world. Now, how big was Paul's world? He couldn't get on a plane in one country and and land in another country in just a matter of hours. He walked. He went by horseback. He sailed. Yet as he went from country to country, he was watching the advance of the kingdom. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was carrying with him good news. Now, not everybody wanted to hear it. He had opposition, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. Read his autobiography in 2 Corinthians and you'll see the price he paid for declaring the gospel, yet he can say here, all over the world, all over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing. The question for us is, if it's not producing fruit, if I'm not seeing fresh fruit, as it were, produced in my life, where's the holdup? This is a declaration. He doesn't say, well, you know, I see some evidence here and I see a little bit of evidence here. There's sort of a token. There's a little bit of fruit being harvested. 
When my wife and I moved into our property on Mary Street, there was a, a vine in the backyard. I'd never grown grapes, so we decided to relocate the vine, and I put it beside our back door, and, and was all excited. We're going to have grapes, and that first year it produced three. Why? Wrong location. Dry soil, barren soil. I didn't have a clue how to produce grapes. We moved it, took some advice from people that knew what they were talking about. The next year, 300 bunches. What's the difference? Why in some lives is there such little evidence of grace? Such little evidence that the gospel, listen, we've had the gospel for years, have we not? My parents, my grandparents, I have my grandfather's Bible that he brought with him from Scotland. But how little impact has it had? I was shocked, I was stunned, I was thrilled to watch the Bengali leaders who have no resources hunger and thirst to know God. They asked me, they said, what kind of an appetite is there for God in Canada? How do I answer that? What do you say? All over the world, the gospel is producing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it. From day one, it's produced fruit. Don't be content with less fruit than what Christ longs to produce. I've chosen you, Jesus said, and ordained you that you should bring forth much fruit. That doesn't sound like a little handful, a little basketful. It sounds like an abundance and more to share. Have you heard it? Have you understood God's grace in all its truth? Wow, what a statement. Have you grasped grace? Can you grasp it? At the camp, at the church camp, which I had the opportunity to speak at, we were looking at Ephesians, a camp from Cary Baptist Church, and we spent a long time in the last part of Ephesians 3 where Paul prays that the Christians there would grasp the scope of God's love, the height and, and the depth and the breadth, and to, and to know this love, which is unknowable. You see, if we've been transformed by anything, we have been transformed by love. We've been transformed by grace, have we not? Or have we resisted that grace? You learned it, Paul said, from Epaphras, our, our dear fellow servant. This brother who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, he told you, he brought the message. Aren't you glad he came? Listen. When you've never heard good news, it's a joy to hear it for the first time. You are thrilled. When Hudson Taylor, years ago, first saw the, the first convert after ministry in China, the convert said to him, how long have you had the gospel, this good news in your country? And Taylor said, oh, we've had it in England. He went there in the 1800s. He said, we've had it for years. He said, why did it take you so long to bring it to us? Taylor writes, I couldn't answer that question. Good news is for sharing, is it not? You show me someone who has good news and they can't keep it in, right? Get a young, you know, one, one of my daughters, you know, was, was great at Christmas time. I could almost coax her what was going to come out of the Christmas tree for me. Why? I want to tell you 
Why? She couldn't keep it in. So excited. How about the excitement for the gospel? They were so excited. We've been so transformed, so changed that we can't stop but tell people what God has done for us. We give him praise. We give him glory. We thank him. We declare what he's done for our souls. Well, how should we pray? How should we pray? I want to encourage just introduce this to you this morning and challenge you to read through verses 9 through 14 as a passage that would challenge us, that would encourage us to pray not only for those who have declared their faith in Christ this morning in the waters of baptism, but for each other. For this reason, verse 9, since the day we heard about it, we have not stopped praying for you. May I plead with you to just wrestle with that for a moment? We stop praying. Paul said, no, no, we have not We have not stopped praying. We're praying and praying. Some of you are praying and have carried requests for a long time. We stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're in Christ this morning, and and we say to you, we're with you in this. We're going to hold on until we see God answer. We're going to trust him. What are we praying? We're asking, first of all, for God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. through wisdom and spiritual understandings. Verse 10, secondly, we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Isn't isn't that a wide-sweeping request? Yes. Yes. Bearing fruit in every good work. Every venture we take on we see the blessing of God. Why? God guided us into it, and God resourced us to do it, and we give him praise. We grow in the knowledge of God. We're strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. We keep going. Why? God's sustaining us. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It's, to, it's grace that's brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. So what's the testimony as he concludes? Giving thanks to the Father, one more note of praise, one more note of thanksgiving, who has qualified you. Are you qualified this morning? Yes, by grace. You are qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. And then he wraps up his conversion with a summary statement. For he, that is God, has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing rescue operation that you are carrying out worldwide. Thank you for those whom this day you have rescued out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of your dear son. We pray that you would bless the proclamation of the gospel. And Father, we ask that in our lives, individually, as families, as a church family, we would be able to testify that all over the world, including Durham region, this gospel 
is producing fruit and growing in us just as it has been doing since the day we heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. So grant us understanding. Open our minds, open our hearts to see Jesus. We pray in his name, amen. Hear these words spoken by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he trims clean so that it will be even more fruitful. I trust in our response to Christ this morning. Our desire is that we would be more fruitful, that we would bring glory and honor and praise to him, that if there's anything in our lives that is hindering his work of grace, his work of spirit, that we would settle that. We would not leave this place today with unconfessed sin that he's been talking to us about. Jesus said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the reminder today of the power of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform lives. We confess before you, Lord, our need for ongoing transformation. Thank you that you have rescued us. Many of us can testify to saving grace. You have rescued us out of the dominion of darkness. You brought us into the kingdom of your dear son. But we long to know that fruitfulness. We long to be channels of blessing to this community. And we would pray together for those in our circle of influence, those in our families, those as neighbors, those as co-workers who are on our hearts but today are outside of Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would save them, that you would rescue them. May today be a day of salvation. Give us a holy boldness to speak for Christ. But may our lives testify, too, to the power of the gospel. So protect us, Lord. You've implanted your word in our hearts again today. Help us, we pray, to mix it with faith, to respond in obedience, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.